Mark. Joe. How are things? I am doing well. How are you doing? I think I'm doing okay. It's been a while since we recorded one of you. You think you're doing okay? Well, I'll, yes, <laughs> I do. I, I genuinely think I'm doing okay. I may not be. There could be all sorts of hidden health problems. I have no idea. Oh, okay. That will crop that's, up, you know, during this podcast. That's a good qualifier. Uh, so today we have, I was going to say a very special guest, but they're all special guests. But this one is, she's kind of special in that uh, she's my sister, Susan Rogers. Yay. So, yeah. <laughs> I am very fortunate to be your sister. Yeah, welcome to our podcast, Susan. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's uh, it's an honor to be here. So we've been uh, doing this thing that may not be a great thing to do because it, it just kind of denotes laziness on my part. But rather than having like a big elaborate introduction for our guests, you know, where I talk about how great they are and all their massive accomplishments, I have them do that. So... Tell us about yourself. Oh, gosh. <laughs> it's it's really hard to talk about yourself. You know that, right? <laughs> um, Weirdly, I don't have that problem. It's a cruel and unusual punishment, <laughs> yeah. I think, Joe. Yeah. Starting every uh, every, every episode, I was like, <laughs> blow your own horn. I think it is. Okay. Well, I'm an author and a filmmaker. I live in Prince Edward Island, Canada, which is uh, you know one of the most beautiful places on the earth, I would say. So I'm very blessed to live here. I, uh, yeah, I kind of, you know, came into being an author and filmmaker late in life, you know, early forties kind of thing. Went to uh, film school in Vancouver, came home, uh, got frustrated with film, started writing books, wrote about 20 books now. And my favorite is a series called the Drifter series or 15 books in the series. And, and uh, you wrote those books in like what span of time? Yeah. <laughs> Pretty short span. I usually wrote about four a winter. I've published the first one in 2013, in January. So that's, what are we at now? <laughs> Nine years, I guess. And I have 15 in that. Yeah, you know what? Uh, Mark puts me to shame, but you put even Mark to shame. So. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I hear that you're an author as well, Mark. I haven't read your books, but uh, now that I know you, I'm just going to have to seek them out, I think. I had no idea you had written so many of those books. 20? Yeah, and a few screenplays and uh, produced my first wow. feature film, uh, of course, during COVID, which was crazy, but uh, it was released, uh, yeah, in, uh, at Whistler. It competed in the Borsos for Best Canadian Feature, so I'm very proud of that. It's called Still the Water. Congratulations on that. Thank you. Yes, it's an amazing accomplishment. And I'll just say about her books that, you know, to be supportive, I thought, you know what, I gotta, I don't necessarily have to read them but I, I should at least buy them. I went into a bookstore on Prince Edward Island and bought 15 of her books. And I thought, wow, that's, you know, I am being supportive. And then she immediately wrote five more, which I just found very annoying. <laughs> I haven't got around to buying them. It's very addictive. Susan, can I ask, do you have a day job? Because And if so, how do you manage that kind of output while you're still working? I do not have a day job anymore. I, I have, as I was writing, I, I've... I'm one of those people that picked up a few jobs. I used to work as a museum curator, actually. Oh. And, and I, you know, I did that for quite a few years. But I don't know, life was passing me by. So I went off to film school. So after film school, um, I, you know, I made client videos, basically, like, like the Beatles out there in Germany trying to learn their craft. I was trying to learn my craft, shooting and editing. And in between, because film didn't pay super great on PEI, I did take a number of smaller jobs, I would call them like contract jobs, everything from honestly merchandising peanuts to, uh, to working for the CRA. So 
I've picked up jobs here and there, but now I think I'm I'm on the road and and things are better. I've got some good opportunities coming, and um, yeah, it's not easy being you know a writer, an artist, and trying to make a a living in a small place like Prince Edward Island. It can be challenging. Oh, good for you. I'm I'm super I'm super super impressed. Oh, thank you. Yeah, just getting a movie made is an amazing accomplishment, and then to get plaudits for it is even better. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. It's honestly one of the best uh, memories of my life, other than you know hanging out with that cool guy that that you're doing the podcast with uh, when I was a kid. <laughs> we we had a lot of fun too. We have good memories too. <laughs> this is true. Let me ask you a question because you have one son, Christopher, who will all be hiring to do our book design in the near future. I understand. Which was harder, raising Christopher or making a feature film? <laughs> Uh, definitely making a feature film. <laughs> oh, because he was easy. Christopher was. Uh, Christopher was such a great kid to raise. Yeah, he. I was a single parent for much of raising him. He was just my best little buddy, and you know, we watched movies and got popcorn and <laughs> we got pizza. I don't know. I have great memories of raising. He was a smart little guy too. So we we still talk almost every day. And he lives on the opposite coast. He's thirty two now, and he lives in Vancouver, which is very sad. But we talk almost every day. So you're a creative person, and that's what we're doing here is talking to creative people about one thing in particular, one creative work that they are particularly passionate about. So I understand you have something in mind. Okay, sure. So a couple of years ago, after I made the film, which was you know still a big part of my existence at the time because it was just going out into the world, my partner Steve surprised me one day with a print from a local artist and someday I'd love to own the original. I don't know where it is right now, but maybe I'll find it someday. It's called Setting Day, which uh, it's an oil painting of the fishing boats, a number of fishing boats going out to sea to set their traps on the very first day of the lobster fishing season in PEI. And it's actually a scene from my movie, almost identical to some of the uh, setting day shots that we got in the film because there's a fishing theme in the film. It features the channel right outside my window. I'm at a camper right now at a place in Darnley, PEI, called Twin Shores, where I live for the summer. And I can see where that painting was featured, I guess, the location, um, you know, right outside my window. It's painted by a guy named Scott O'Neill, who actually is from Ontario, but moved to PEI, oh, I think about 10 years ago, maybe with his wife, Holly. They're a sweet couple. They've become good friends of ours. And and it was a very special gift when when Steve brought that in. It's just the lighting and the waves and the fishing boats and the lobster traps. And it takes me right back to to my film. So it's very personal and very special. It's It's one of the most beautiful scenes in the film too. It's just, we were out there at sunrise. We did some drone shots and we did some with the cinematographer, you know, right at pretty much eye level with the boats. It's uh, quite beautiful in the movie. Can you uh, send me the link, uh, Susan? I'm... Yeah, I will do that. You should have it now. Okay. Oh, I see it. Yeah, I got it. It's beautiful. Are the the traps that there's that many traps in each boat? There are, and it's yeah. it's quite dangerous. I mean, yeah. and the the fishermen do fisher folk, I should say, because there are women who are fishing now too. They do more than one run. And Steve and I always go out every year to this location where my camper is, so we can. Where we the camper's not here, obviously. That early in the year, it's usually around May first. But we go out every year to watch the boats, and it's it's literally a dance on the water. It's just this beautiful choreography. I almost romanticize it, probably, but at the same time, I know how dangerous it is, and that actually features in the film too. 
sometimes you see them going out with with the crew sitting on the top of the traps and people have been known to go overboard. Yeah, it looks like they're uh, they're they're piled high enough that they could, you know, capsize very easily. And they're they're attached with heavy lines as well. So the the fishers have to really watch where their feet are on the boat, you know, really take care as they put the traps in the water. It also is um for, to me anyway denotes beginnings because it's it's the beginning of the season and on PEI it's the beginning of the tourist season and the summer season and it's just this time filled with hope and jubilation because you know the warmer days are ahead. And of course, people who love lobster love setting day because it's their first feed of lobster for the year. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of it's kind of fun. It has it's embedded with all kinds of meaning, which is which is why I picked that particular image. Did the painting precede the movie or did they sort of happen concurrently? Uh, I think he painted it right around the time that I was making the film. Like they, they pretty much happen around the same time. I think this particular image online has a 2019 date, but, and the film was released in 2020 in the fall uh, to film festivals anyway, and then commercially released in 2021. But yeah, they kind of happen around the same time. And it's kind of neat because Scott is um, someone that we, you know, we consider a friend and it, makes it all that more special too to own you know some of his work but as i say i'm going to be on the hunt for the original one of these days so if he's if he's a friend of yours yeah what about hey scott so where's the the original of <laughs> yeah i will next next time i'm um he has a restaurant as you can tell from this image that we're looking at here too he has a very busy successful restaurant not far from here and we go there once in a while to have pizza or, or whatever. Or is this one of those situations where like, you're like, he's a friend of mine. But then if we were to ask him, uh, oh, that's, I'm going to call brother question on that one. That's a brother <laughs> question. I, I hope he would say the same thing. <laughs> I hope he would admit to the friendship and, uh, you know, because he wants to keep us as good customers. Right. So <laughs> I do admit that as a line of questioning, I would not use another guest. <laughs> Busted. I don't promise us the last question right. of that kind. <laughs> But tell us about Scott, if you're such good friends. <laughs> sure. So you said his family owns a restaurant? Yeah, he and his wife, you know, they're this lovely couple that they came from Ontario. A lot of people do come to PEI from away, we call it, because it seems like this dreamlike place, you know. But And and some don't stay, but Scott and Holly, they came, they renovated a beautiful old historic home. They stayed and they built this amazing business. Like I, he's probably one of the hardest working people I know, both of them, Scott and Holly. But I mean, you go into his restaurant and, it, and the walls are covered with his art and, you know, it's, it's plain air work for the most part. If I said that correctly, you know, lots of outdoor landscapes and seascapes. Oh, wait, did you take us to that restaurant last summer? Oh, were you there? You might've been there. Yeah, I probably did. And there are waves on the wall. Yes, know, that's right. Curling over. And what was, What's the name of the restaurant? O'Neill's. It's just called O'Neill's. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So I did actually see a bunch of his work and uh, he is a very talented artist and uh, and the food was quite good too. Yeah. So I have to ask both of you, what are island beverages? What are island? Oh, <laughs> I would presume that that means craft beer from island breweries. And also um, there's another drink. I can't remember what it's called now. Rocket Lobster or something. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe um maybe the rhubarb 
cordial that they serve at the Wyatt properties in Summerside. <laughs> Either one will put hair on your chest for sure. So. <laughs> no, they're great. They they try to source local where they can. Because there is a bunch of uh, craft uh, breweries on uh, the island, isn't there? There are. There are probably four or five now in there, and they're all doing really well. Yeah, and they've expanded in you know beyond just beer. I think <laughs> into some other beverages, some of which are in my fridge right now. I, admittedly, <laughs> we should ask you. You mentioned your fe- your feature film, which I think is you know apart from writing twenty books in the space of like four weeks, one of your greatest accomplishments. What is the film actually about? Well, the the film is about brothers who come together many years after a family tragedy drove them apart. There's a lot of tension in the film. These two brothers don't necessarily get along very well. And there's a third brother who's kind of the mediator between them and always tries to make things better with his family. But there are points in the film where he realizes that maybe things are never going to get better. But yeah, you've, you've got one brother who starts to derail just while the other brother actually is pulling his life together, which creates tension, which the boys take out on the hockey rink, actually, which is really fun to film hockey scenes. <laughs> it was uh, five days of freezing in a rink, but it was worth it. And then the boys end up working on a lobster boat. And I don't want to give too much away, but lobster fishing can be dangerous and things happen. Do the boys reconcile at the end? Or- what happens? What was the hardest thing about making that movie? Uh, the hardest thing about making it was that I had a full-time job at the CRA up to three weeks before we went to camera. And then also on PEI, you know, we're, we have a, a burgeoning film industry, but we didn't have a lot of trained crew. Um, people just don't have the opportunity here to work on sets or they didn't at the time. So it was challenging to do multiple jobs at once to try to fill in the gaps, I think. I mean, I almost, I almost had a breakdown and you probably don't know this, Joe, but I almost had a breakdown before I left the CRA. I had one week left in my contract and I walked out and I knew that it meant that I could never go back, but I was trying to work from seven till three at CRA and then work on the film till whenever. And then, you know, your head is just spinning and you can't sleep and I was exhausted and that's, and you know, I mean, I kind of, yeah, no, that's insane. You probably know that feeling. Yeah. So it was, that was the hardest part. But once we went to camera, it was great because then, you know, all the preliminary work was done. I had a fabulous cinematographer and it was just a joy, like being on set. It was hard some days and, but I didn't cry. There were never tears ever. Okay. You got to tell Mark and the two or three people listening to this podcast, who the, who the uh, cinematographer was that you had? Sure. He's, um, his name is Christopher Ball and uh, has worked in film for a number of years. He would tell you that his favorite job was working on Aquaman in Newfoundland. He did a lot of, uh, oh yeah, a lot of shooting for Aquaman, but his claim to fame beyond that is probably a film called The Lighthouse, which was filmed in Yarmouth. That is a beautiful film, actually. I mean, it's deeply disturbing, <laughs> but beautifully filmed. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He was, he wasn't the cinematographer, but he was the camera operator on that, which was, you know, shot in film, windy, dangerous days. And that uh, cinematography team was nominated for an Oscar. So the images in my film are beautiful. He had shot that before he shot our film. And uh, so it was fun because, you know, you go to lunch and he tell you all the behind the scenes stories, <laughs> which were really fun. <laughs> Well, you you actually have a a, a making of a documentary of your film, and and you can see this man at work, and he obviously knows what he's doing. And I think you were so fortunate to have somebody like that working on your film. I mean, yes, those are two big movies that he worked on. 
before he got to yours? Well, he's a man who really believes in independent film and, and independent filmmakers, you know, and, and because, I mean, we weren't able to pay union rates or anything and, you know, we did the best that we could and he appreciated what we could do, but, and we needed him because he was also someone who, who could shoot underwater or, and in the water because he's a diver too. And not every cinematographer has that skill set. So, but also his temperament. I mean, he was just such a, a beautiful, patient person to work with. And I'm sure that every show that someone like him goes to, they come in and they, they don't know, you know, what the set's going to be like. Film is pretty intense. There's a lot of pressure and somebody me who is pretty new to the game, really at a later age, (laughs) I will admit working with someone with his level of experience, like he didn't know what to expect, but, and it always takes a day or so to get your feet under you. But I found that we worked really well together and he was just absolutely the right kind of personality for me on this very demanding project. As a director, did you like to, are you the kind of director who just wants the actors to find their own way? Or do you have specific ideas about how a scene should go and try to get them to think about that? I definitely have very specific ideas, but at the same time, I'm always open to collaboration and, you know, even with the cinematography too, like, you know, I might have an idea of how something's going to go and Chris might say, Oh, well, you know, the light is better that if we do it this way. And so, I mean, I'm always open to that with the actors as well. I learned a lot about working with actors on this film because I learned that every actor is very different in terms of how they approach a scene So they all needed something different from me, Mm -hmm. which was quite interesting and challenging at times, but they're great. So what do you, what do you like better writing books or making films? Oh, I love all of it. I mean, every step of of writing books and every step of making films to me is just so magical and so incredible that, you know, sometimes you, you know, even in post-production, you know, you're sitting there putting the music together and you're thinking, oh, I am the luckiest person on the planet, especially as you start seeing it come together. But, you know, writing in general is its own joy, as I know you guys both know. So, yeah, I mean, to me, it's just that that creative magic of writing the perfect sentence or the perfect paragraph or putting the perfect visuals together. And you always know when it's right. At least I feel like I do. I always have that that feeling where, okay, this is this is it. This is the magic. So I love both. Mark, have you ever wanted to make a film? Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Really? Yeah. I think it's really cool. It's a really, it's yeah. I've, I've actually thought that a couple of my books would be excellent films. The fatness, especially I think would be, I would, you know what? I was just thinking that, that the fatness would lend itself to a film. I mean, it's basically Romeo and Juliet, so the bones are pretty good. And not quite as high budget as uh, Alpha Max. Uh, no, I think it'd be really actually fairly inexpensive to, to film. I, though I think that, I think you could do Alpha Max too. I think, except for a couple of scenes, it's it's pretty, I think it's mostly set here in London, Ontario, or Landon, Ontario. So I, I, think, I think it's cheaper than you'd think. So Susan, how do we get you directing and producing one of Mark's books? <laughs> well, you know, right now I'm going through this interesting phase in my career. I went to the Banff World Media Festival in June and I, I took five projects there. I had five pitch decks is what I, I wow. take and what most filmmakers will put together. So you need to create a pitch deck for your book, for your 
proposed film. Yeah. And it's Banff is just a big market. So, I mean, I sat down, had all kinds of meetings. I've made all kinds of connections because I'm trying to get my next projects off the ground too. So yeah, in order for, for you guys to get into film, then maybe just give me another year to <laughs> get some more, <laughs> some more connections. I mean, it's I'm really, hold you to that. it's tough, but you know, if, if you get out there and you, you just try to meet the right people, then hopefully you find the right partners to help you get your project off the ground. So you should send me that book. But you, well, yes, <laughs> you should absolutely read Mark's books. I would love to. Yeah. And actually, I just, uh, Mark's uh, newsletter, I always read Mark's newsletter. I receive a whole bunch of newsletters. There's only one or two that I read right to the end, and Mark's is always one. So you need to, everybody listening to this podcast needs to get on Mark's newsletter list. Oh, cool. Because it's always, he's not always just pitching himself. He's doing it properly. He's like writing interesting stuff that you want to read. Okay. Much like his books. And and I was going somewhere with this. And in the course of it, I've completely lost my train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will say thank you. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm just interested, like in the in the in the minutiae. So, what's a pitch deck? Because I've I've got I've actually written a treatment of that one book. A pitch deck is shorter, I'm assuming. A pitch deck is at least the way I do them. It's I, I'll call them slides. It's very visual, and um, okay. you know, you start with like a concept poster at the top, and then you work your way through like a log line slide and then a short synopsis slide and then a long synopsis slide and then characters and usually a little bit about the filmmaker and that's neat it establishes tone and brand mm -hmm. actually it's humblehound.ca in vancouver if i'm allowed to give that plug it's actually my son's company he made all five of my pitch decks he's a design student at this time and he's in a he did a fabulous job you're not allowed to plug your kid we'll, we'll be editing, <laughs> editing that out Sorry. But no, no, I'll leave that in. <laughs> oh, we can put that in the links. Come but, on. <laughs> but that's a pitch deck is just a because uh, producers don't want to do a lot of reading. Of course. So if you yeah. brought them to treatment, they'd probably file that away. Sorry. At least until they were really hooked and really interested. Then they'll read the treatment. That's what I figured it was for later. Yeah. I, yeah. I assume that no producer is ever going to read a book, though. Um, I mean, they will if they're, if you've got them hooked on your, with a great, yeah. fabulous pitch deck. Then they'll read the book. We I had a meeting last week with a producer who asked for a book. So hmm. yeah, they will if they're if they're interested. That's cool. But now you you've got some big shots looking at your stuff right now, don't you, Susan? Uh, some people in LA. Is <laughs> yeah. there somebody uh, assigned as a showrunner to one of your projects? There is. And it took a few years. Of course, COVID was kind of there in the middle. But um, I do have a Los Angeles showrunner who was found by the production company that is now trying to get my Drifter series off the ground as a television series. So they, they found her. She's top of the line. She's, uh, I think I'm, I'm allowed to... Uh, no, I bet I probably better not at this point. But <laughs> yeah, don't but don't mess anything up. <laughs> I don't want to screw anything up. But yeah. but she is a absolutely t a top of the line showrunner. And um, in fact, I had some emails from her today, which were great because she's involving me in the process, which I love. And she is just finishing a new pitch deck for my Drifters series, and uh, they're planning to start pitching. They're attaching a director. They call it packaging, I guess. You know, to bring a strong package to Amazon or. or Netflix or whoever. So they're attaching a cast as well. And I've been kind of told who some of those people might be. And it's super exciting and surreal and amazing. <laughs> so I, I hope it happens. That's so exciting. Well, this is why we needed to get Susan it's on so the podcast exciting. now because six months or a year from now, she yeah. won't have anything to do with the likes of us. <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't matter if we're related to her. Or it's not. funny you say that because as I was talking, I was thinking, 
maybe after all this happens, somebody might actually listen to this, which would be really kind of fun, you know, for them to hear the anticipation and excitement and hope in my voice. Because <laughs> I hope it happens. I thought you were going to say it's funny you should say that because it's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's definitely surreal. I mean, you spend all these years, I mean, admittedly in with, I would say almost poverty. Like, I mean, I shouldn't say that because I, I live with a man who pays the mortgage and stuff, but I mean, it's been, it's been a really hard road. It's been a hard journey. You know, if anybody's listening to this podcast, who's struggling, I say, don't give up because magic can happen. Dreams can come true. It takes hard work and faith. Well, you know, I, I love nothing more than to mock you because you're my sister, but <laughs> I will. I have to say publicly at this point that I have for a long time now admired your courage because you really have done it. You've done it the hard way. You've really pursued your dream. You gave up the day job and you wrote your books and they've done very well in Prince Edward Island and elsewhere around the world. And you made, you conceived of a feature film and made your feature film and it has done fairly well. It's, uh, you know, critically uh, well received. So nothing but admiration from from this quarter. Uh, thank you. It's uh, not something I'd recommend to everybody. And I, and I would also say that some artists just don't feel like they have a choice because oh, I'm telling you these, these books, I mean, I don't know. Sometimes you wonder if you're just channeling something, but I mean, they had to come out, they had to be written because they, there are themes of, I guess you're not supposed to say homelessness anymore. I guess the word is unhomed, but you know, there are mental health themes in the books. There are social justice issues in the books. There are, addictions issues and but ultimately through all the darkness there's light and hope and forgiveness and that's what my brand is and that everything I do is about hope and forgiveness so I don't know maybe I'm just a vessel for something but I didn't ever feel like I had a choice and it's been really hard sometimes but it's also I'm also blessed with living in one of the most beautiful places in the world and there's a beautiful sunset starting outside my window right now and <laughs> That's right, because you're, uh, I guess we didn't make it clear, but you're actually doing this from your trailer in uh, Twin Shorts. I am. Yeah, we have a fifth wheel, an older fifth wheel that is our, a camper that has, it's almost on the beach, pretty much. So it's just stunning, beautiful, red cliffs and yeah, water, pretty little, quaint little white church in the distance. It's a beautiful place to write and to work. Well, good for you for sticking with it. I mean, it's, it's, I certainly know how hard it is too, so. Uh, I'm very impressed with how you've managed to find so much success. And I'm really excited about the uh, the TV series. That's really cool. Oh, thanks. I hope it happens. I mean, it's the last step now. They just have to find a broadcaster. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel that they will because there's a lot of music in this series too. And with 20 books, there's tons of material there. Tons of material. For many seasons. Well, it's yeah. interesting because I signed an agreement that allows them to change some of the characters and (laughs) so it was really interesting when I first sat down to do a zoom meeting with the showrunner you know she ticked off a bunch of questions she had a list she's she had done her homework she ran me through the list how do you feel about this how do you feel about this and one of the things was just to give you an example the main character in the books he does motocross and she said you know I'm a surfer and I live in Los Angeles and how about we change the motocross to surfing and I thought Sure, why not? I can live with that. I don't even know why. I don't know. My head, he always did motocross. But, you know, th- those kinds of questions came up. Anybody who knows the series, uh, yeah, I think Josh is probably going to be a surfer. So we can live with that. 
So let me ask you to close off any, because we started talking about the painting that you found inspirational. Any final thoughts on that painting or the artist? I would just like to say that one thing that captivates me about his work is his use of light, which I also love in filmmaking and cinematography. And even in my writing, I mean, I love to talk about the light. Yeah, there's just something magical. There's just a magical, very alive quality to his work, especially the uh, the paintings that feature boats on water or just water or waves. Like You feel like you could just climb in and be comforted. I guess I'm an ocean girl at heart, aren't I? <laughs> so then the surfer makes sense. It's actually got an internal logic to it. There you go. <laughs> yeah, we actually talked about that too, because we talked about LA and then I talked about trying to get her to come here to PEI to shoot some scenes. And, you know, about the ocean. And the ocean is something that always draws the main characters in. So there's definitely something magical about the ocean. So I guess that's another reason why why I chose that particular painting. All right. Well, Susan, thank you very much for being on our podcast. Well, thank you for having me. This has been really fun. I just, you know, we need to talk more there, Joe. (laughs) Bro. Joe, bro. (laughs) Yeah. No, very true. Well, you know what? We may have to have you uh, back on to, uh, you know, as your projects uh, develop and see how they work out. Yeah, I would love that. I would love that. And it was a pleasure to meet you, Mark. So let me know where I can find your book. Books. Oh, they're they're on Amazon. They're, They're anywhere you can buy books online. Okay, cool. been listening to Recreative, a podcast about creativity. Talking to creative people from every walk of life about the art that inspires them. And you're probably wondering, how can I support this podcast? I am wondering, Joe, how can I support this podcast? I mean, apart from being on it. There's no advertisements in this podcast. There's no tip jars. There's nothing about like buying us a coffee or anything like that. But there is a way that you can support us. And what is that? It's not about supporting us. It's about supporting the people that we're talking to. I think most of the people we've talked to are artists of some description, and they probably have some kind of artistic product that you could buy. And if you enjoyed it, maybe you could review it for them. Oh, yeah. But maybe us too. Yeah, you know what? Us too. It wouldn't hurt. They could buy our books. And how do they find us? Recreative.ca. Don't forget the hyphen. There's a hyphen in there. Re-creative. I took your line. Sorry. Well, because I stole your line. <laughs> so yes, re-creative.ca. Jenks. Oh yeah, you, that, I stole your line again. <laughs> As well, if you like what you've just heard, you could consider subscribing to the podcast. And leave a comment if you like it. Thanks for listening. Spread the word.